what is the church? That's what we're going to be looking at over the next four weeks together. That question, what is the church? Now, specific to Reach Church, we exist to be a community where people encounter Jesus and their lives are changed forever. And that video is just a small window into the large life and ministry and what God is doing here at your church. But it's important that you understand at your church what the church is. And so we've carved out this space at the onset of the year to address that, where we're going to look at our four core values, not the least of which begins today with the first value, and that is that we gather. If I haven't met you before, my name is Andrew, and I'm the senior pastor here. I love that you're here, whether you're joining us online or this is your first time or you call Reach Church Home. Welcome and Happy New Year. Why don't you grab your Bible, please, right where you're at, grab your Bibles. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians today. If you don't have a Bible, we have ushers that are coming around the worship center right now, and they would love to bring you a Bible. So what you need to do is raise your hand, and they'll bring you a Bible, and it's a gift. It's your Bible. We want you to take it home with you when you leave today, and we want you to bring it back with you when you come back next week. First Thessalonians is going to be about seven-eighths of the way through your Bible in the New Testament. If you want to know specifically where it's at, you can start at the very beginning of your Bible with the table of contents. It'll give you a list of Old Testament and New Testament names of the books of the Bible. It's in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to be in chapter 13 together today. How many of you on August 30th, 2023, were in Lincoln, Nebraska? Were you one of the 92,003 individuals that came from all over the United States of America, 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 and other parts of the globe? Were you there when the University of Nebraska, Lincoln, played the University of Nebraska, Omaha, in what is a record-setting event, the largest sporting event in women's history, all-time any sport, 92,003 people. Now, I can't tell you if they were there for the volleyball or for Scotty McCreary, who played after the game was over, but it was the largest spectacle. They packed out Memorial Stadium right there in Lincoln. We have several people in our church who were at that game. And so I asked one of them why they went. What was it about the event that drew them in? And listening to the conversation about what was appealing to them and then doing some research about why people, when asked, decided to come to the game, the answers that they gave. There were really three reasons. Number one is that they wanted to celebrate women's sports. That was the number one answer given most often is they wanted to celebrate women's sports. The second answer given was that they wanted to be a part of something historic, something never have ha that had never happened before and may not ever happen again. The third reason was one that I leaned into that caught my attention. And that answer was all about community. That there is a, a common bond or a thread that brought them together. That they shared a common interest, whether it is Nebraska sports or volleyball or being a part of a historic event. That they were there to gather together to be a part of something special and unique. I thought about that because... I think that's true of the church. When you ask the question and you begin to answer the question, what is the church? The church should be a place where historic things happen, where lives are transformed as they encounter Jesus. 
The church should be a place that is exciting, that's engaging. I never read anywhere in the Bible where we're called to bore anybody into heaven. The church should be a place where we come together and we're known more about what we're for than what we're against. The church should be a place that unites us around the person of Jesus and the cause of Christ. And so we as a church exist to be a community, common unity, where people encounter Jesus and their lives are changed forever. And we have four core values that not only inform, but that drive our existence. And much like the volleyball game where people gathered together to be a part of something historic and special and unique and to celebrate and to experience community, the first of our core values is that we gather as a church. And we're going to look at that together today. First Thessalonians chapter 13. When asking and answering the question, what is the church? We're going to look at a church. Thessalonica is an early church. We're going to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, all 13 verses together, okay? 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. What did I say? 13. 13, because we're reading verses 1 through 13. But you know what's amazing about that? I love that you're laughing at me. Because you know there's not 13 verse or chapters because you have your Bible open. You're not just taking my word for it. Thank you. I applaud that you have your Bible open. First Thessalonians chapter 3, <laughs> verses 1 through 13. Finally, when we could stand it no longer, we decided to stay alone in Athens. And we sent Timothy to visit you. He is our brother and God's co-worker in proclaiming the good news of Christ. We sent him to strengthen you to encourage you in your faith, and to keep you from being shaken by the troubles you were going through. But you know that we are detested, or excuse me, destined for such troubles. Even while we were with you, we warned you that troubles would soon come, and they did, as you well know. That is why, when I could bear it no longer, I sent Timothy to find out whether your faith was still strong. I was afraid that the tempter, Satan, had gotten the best of you and that our work had been useless. But now Timothy has just returned, bringing us good news about your faith and love. He reports that you always remember our visit with joy and that you want to see us as much as we want to see you. So we've been greatly encouraged in the midst of our troubles and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, because you've remained strong in your faith. It gives us new life to know that you are standing firm in the Lord. How we thank God for you. Because of you, we have great joy as we enter God's presence. Night and day we pray earnestly for you, asking God to let us see you again to fill the gaps in your faith. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus bring us to you very soon. And may the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow, just as our love for you overflows. May he, as a result, make your hearts strong, blameless, and holy as you stand before God our Father when our Lord Jesus comes again with all his holy people. And the whole church agreed and said, Amen. Father, this is your word, active, alive, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing between bone and marrow. When your word goes out, it doesn't return void. Your word transforms hearts, it changes lives. And we invite your transformative power to come and to move this morning. Holy Spirit, we ask you to do what only you're capable of doing. Redeem this time. Use it for our good and for your glory. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be received as a gift, holy and pleasing to you alone, our rock and redeemer. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So why does the church gather? Well, if we exist to be a community where people encounter Jesus and their lives are changed forever, and the first of our four core values is that we gather, well, why do we gather? 
We gather for three reasons primarily. We gather as a church to exalt Christ. When we come together, we want to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. We gather as a church, secondarily, to equip Christians. We want to grow deep and wide in our faith. We want to have those strong, sturdy roots. And we gather to encourage community. We want to encourage one another. Romans 1.12 says that is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by one another's faith. So we gather to exalt Christ, to equip Christians, and to encourage community. And we see all three of those happen in this letter that Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica. And I'm going to go back over it. We're going to stop and examine just a few of these things as we move along together today. Beginning again in verse 1. Finally... Finally, when we could stand it no longer, we decided to stay alone in Athens and we sent Timothy to visit you. He's our brother and God's co-worker in proclaiming the good news, the gospel of Christ. We sent him to strengthen you, to encourage you in your faith, and to keep you from being shaken by troubles you were going through. But you know that we're destined for such troubles. Look, even when we were with you, we warned you that troubles would soon come. And they, and they did, as you well know. That's why when I could bear it no longer, I sent Timothy to find out whether your faith was still strong. I was afraid that the tempter had gotten the best of you and that our work had been useless. In the margin of your Bible or wherever you're taking notes, write down as a parallel passage, Acts 17. Acts 17. That's a historical account of Paul's visit in Thessalonica. What you learn in Acts 17 is that he was there three Sabbaths, three Saturdays, three worship experiences. So at at minimum, he was there at least two weeks, but possibly four plus weeks, depending on where they got there, whether it was Monday to a Saturday or Sunday to the following Saturday. Regardless, they weren't there long. They were there for three Sabbaths. Initially, they were received with open arms by everyone there, but then these Jews, these radicals, became threatened and outraged at Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And there became this, this riot that started to form this mob that forced, they forced Paul, Silas, and Timothy out of the community. In fact, there's a guy named Jason who is well-respected in the community that tries to protect Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and they, they go to Jason's house and they drag him out and they demand an answer. They want Paul. Give us Paul. Give us this man. So they actually escaped, and then they go on to Berea, and they're there in Berea, and while they're preaching, the people are receiving them, and things are going really well. But then people in Thessalonica actually begin to pursue Paul, Silas, and Timothy in Berea. And again, this, this mob, this riotous mob, begins to force their way in and force Paul, Silas, and Timothy out. There's persecution. There's religious persecution. They are dealing with a whole bunch of byproducts of hatred and anger and vitriol, and now... They are on the run. So Paul is writing this letter sometime shortly after he gets to Corinth, where he's establishing the ministry, the work of the Lord in Corinth, and really helping to plant a new church there. But while he's in Corinth establishing this new ministry, he's still concerned, maybe even consumed, about the ministry in Thessalonica, knowing the way that things were left, knowing the persecution, knowing that these are brand new believers. Many of these people have been following Jesus for two to four weeks. 
There wasn't the time that he had intended like when he was in Ephesus where he was there for two or three years where he had the ability to develop these followers of Jesus like he wanted to. And so it's so important for him that he find out how they're doing in Thessalonica that he sends Timothy. Paul and Silas stay back in Athens. They send Timothy, this young 30-something-year-old pastor, out to Thessalonica to meet with these new Christians. He wants to... Make sure that they're in a good place. Verse 6 tells us, Now Timothy just returned, bringing us good news about your faith and love. He he reports that you always remember our visit with joy and that you want to see us as much as we want to see you. May that be true of us, church. May people show up on Sunday morning and have a strong sense of, I want to see you as much as you want to see me. Like I want our church to be a welcoming church that people desire to be at. That's why we've created the cafe just outside of our worship center doors. That's why we, we, we've expanded the space and multiplied it as much as we can to create a platform for people to gather, to congregate, and to encourage one another, and to worship together, and to learn together, and to grow together. Like, I want us to enjoy being together. After all, if you've, if you've believed in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you've confessed with your mouth that God has raised him from the dead, the people that are around you, you're going to experience eternity with them. So we had better prime the pump and get ready now. Let's enjoy each other's company. Now, I love that. I'm encouraged when I read that. Verse 7, so we've been greatly encouraged in the midst of our troubles and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, because you have remained strong in your faith. It gives us new life to know that you are standing firm in the Lord. Man, isn't that so good when we can look on the lives of other followers of Jesus who are, who are remaining steadfast in their faith and they are... They're they're being an example, a role model, if you will, for other followers of Jesus who may be going through difficult seasons. That's one of the critical reasons that we we need one another. Like, I want to look on your life and be encouraged and filled with joy in my life because of what God is doing in your life. And in turn, I want you to be able to look on my life and be encouraged. Like, I know that most of you look at my life and say, well, if God can use that guy, I'm encouraged. But I, I want us to be able to to be able to see each other and enjoy looking at what God's doing in our lives. I, I have a friend here, uh, his name is Hunter, and I was talking to him at Shields the other day. He's a Green Bay Packers fan because his parents made him be, and they've got season tickets. And I, I'm an Eagles fan, and, and the Eagles were really good up until four weeks ago. So I'm talking to my friend. It, we're, we're in Shields. My wife comes to find me. We had been talking for like 40 minutes, standing in the middle of Shields the week of Christmas. How stupid am I? The whole time we're talking, we're just having a blast. And I'm, I'm like, I just get lost and caught up in this conversation. And I walked away and I found my son, Caden. And I said, man, I love that guy. Caden's like, dude, Hunter is amazing. And we started this whole conversation. We, we started talking about their story and what God has done in their family. And, and just the testimony, the witness that their family is. And I'm like, I, I, I love that. I was encouraged by his faith. And I hope that they can be encouraged by my faith. So this morning I saw him walk in church. And I had to swallow a little pride, I'll be honest. I walked up and I said, I'm going to have to concede this morning and let you know that Jordan Love is actually a really good quarterback. The Packers are actually playing really well right now. And I'm only saying that because the Eagles stopped playing four weeks ago. Like, they're horrible right now. We'll see what happens with the Giants. My point in sharing that story with you is even in silly things like daily living, sports, things that you're interested in, I'm just so encouraged to see other people who love Jesus and how God is moving in their lives. And I hope that you are 
of one another as well. Verse 9, Paul and Silas, they say, how we thank God for you. Like, can you say that? Can you honestly say that you thank God for one another? That you count being in life and ministry together as a gift and you give God glory for that? We thank God because of you we have great joy as we enter God's presence. Night and day we pray earnestly for you, asking God to let us see you again. To fill the gaps in your faith. There is a strong evidence of equipping Christians. He said, we, we thank God for you. We're, we're, we're excited by you. And we ask God that he would let us come back to you so that we can fill in the gaps of your faith. Like, salvation in and of itself is enough. I want to make sure that we're really clear about that. But as followers of Jesus, we need to grow deep and wide. And we'll talk about that in just a moment about why. Equipping Christians is critical. Being a part of community is critical. Hebrews 10, 25 says, let us not forsake the gathering as some do. Like we need to come together. We need each other. And then finally, 11, 12, and 13 is a prayer. He doesn't just say, we pray for you. He actually pins a prayer for them. Do you know on our staff, we have a standard now. That if we say we're going to pray for someone, we stop and pray in that moment. As a staff, we will, in the middle of whatever's going on, if there's, uh, you know, uh, Andrew, you come to me and you say, uh, you know, Jenna expects me to buy her a new uh, Porsche. <laughs> and I don't know what to do. I, 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 I won't just say, you know what, good luck with that. I'm sorry uh, for you. I'll say, hey, let's pray about that. Lord, I pray that you'd free Jenna from that, that desire or give this man some money. <laughs> you guys, your family's going to learn to stop sitting right up front. <laughs> As a staff... When we tell you that we pray for you every week, we pray for you every week. We read your prayer requests throughout the week. We pray for you collectively as a staff, like we are interceding on your behalf. And if I commit to praying for somebody, I'm in a place where I'll actually just text you. Not just, hey man, praying for you. I will pray for you in a text. And here's what Paul and Silas do. They pray and they say, we're praying and we're praising God for you. But here's their prayer. It's three parts. Beginning in verse 11. May God our Father and our Lord Jesus bring you to us very soon. And may the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow. Just as our love for you overflows. May he as a result make your hearts strong, blameless, and holy as you stand before God our Father. When our Lord Jesus comes again with all the holy people. So the prayer is three parts. One, that we would be able to be together again. And two, that God would be allowing them to overflow with love for one another and for all people. Now this isn't a prayer because that's lacking in their life. In fact, this is an exhortation. Because of how they're loving people, because of how they're loving people outside the church, Paul is praying that this love will not only continue, but that it will overflow. You think about a pitcher of water that's filled up to the brim and then you keep putting water in it and it pours over and it makes a mess everywhere. My wife is convinced that I get more water on the counter than in the dishwasher when I do the dishes. And so I say, then do the dishes yourself. <laughs> Actually, true story, yesterday I did the dishes and she was standing in the kitchen and I said, you know what, if you're going to say anything about how I'm loading the dishes, you can do it yourself. And she said, no, I'm just admiring the fact that you're doing the dishes. <laughs> and there's water on the counter. I want that to be true of us. I want Reach Church to be known as a place where people can come and encounter Jesus. I want to be known by our love 
I want to be known more for what we're for than what we're against. I want to be known by our outreach. I want to be known by our children's ministry. I want to be known by our youth ministry. I want to be known by our worship ministry. I want to be known by how we rightly divide God's word. But I don't want, to just, I don't want it to stop when we're known. Like I want it to continue to overflow where it pours out and it makes a mess in this community. I want the gospel to make a mess in this community. I want your lives as a byproduct of Jesus and being a part of Reach Church to go and be messy in this community. I want you to fill your cup so full of love that you pour out all over everybody at work, that you pour out your family, you pour out all over your kids, you pour out all over people at Family Fair or Walmart, wherever you're. Like, I want you to be so radically generous with your love of this church and all people that it appears that you're overflowing with love. And then he says the third part of that prayer. And as a result, may God make your hearts strong, blameless, and holy or set apart as you stand before God our Father when our Lord Jesus comes again with all his holy people. So in this, I see every single one of the attributes of gathering. I see elements of exalting Christ. I see elements of encouraging Christ or excuse me, equipping Christians and in encouraging communities. So I want to I unpack each one of those briefly with us. Let's talk about the importance of each one of those. Number one, exalting Christ. Did you know that in 2023, from February 8th, and for 16 days until the 24th of February, in Wilmore, Kentucky, where Asbury Theological Seminary is, that a, an outpouring took place. They called it the Asbury Outpouring. It's a revival. On a normal chapel day, which happens three times a week, on the 8th, some students committed to staying after because they wanted to continue to worship in song and in prayer. And every day that number grew, and it continued for 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I know people, we have people in this church who actually took a trip out to Kentucky to see this and experience it for themselves. It was estimated that some 75,000 people showed up over 16 days. On average, there were 15,000 people that were in that chapel and on that campus all day, every day, and through the night. This was this Asbury outpouring where they came together, and regardless of race or age or gender or denominational barriers or political lines, they gathered together in a common space to exalt the name of Jesus. People got on airplanes and flew over whole bodies of water from other parts of the world to experience this firsthand. They didn't come because they're fans of Asbury. They didn't come because uh, they wanted to be on television. They came because they wanted to experience for themselves firsthand this collective ecclesia, the gathering, the body coming together to exalt the name of Jesus. And what did they do to exalt the name of Jesus? They sang music together. They prayed together. They prayed for one another. They exercised spiritual gifts. They they stood strong in community, locked hands. They actually took offerings and gave thousands of dollars to people in the gathering. Not the school, people with needs in the community. They took, these college students took an offering and they gave all the money right there to these people in need. In every manner of speaking, they exalted the name of Jesus. 
And people were so incredibly moved by these stories and these testimonies and these evidences and these examples of God's radical love that they had to be a part of it as well. And church, I'm crazy enough to believe that as we keep gathering to exalt the name of Jesus, the Bible says that when you lift his name up, he'll draw all people unto himself. As you and I at Reach Church gather to exalt the name of Jesus, the evidence is going to be so overwhelming and people are going to have to come here to find out for themselves. They're going to need to see what this is all about. I'm not talking about a spectacle and I'm not talking about making much of Reach Church. Change our name for all I care. It's been changed three times in 50 years. Started as the upper room, changed the country Bible and then Reach Church. The gathering, the body, this group of believers... I care that we exalt Jesus so intentionally, so often, and so much that it overflows and it makes an impact on everybody around us. And people have no choice but to come and find out for themselves. How you live your life, is that compelling for people to want to come to this church? Let that sit there for a moment. How you live your life, is that compelling for people to want to come and find out what you've got and how you've got it and how they can get it? If not... I pray that God will fill your hearts and will strengthen you to the point where your love for him and other people will overflow so that that changes. I pray that we have an Asbury outpouring right here at Reach Church. I pray that we create space for people to come and gather so they can worship and collectively exalt the name of Jesus, that we can make much of Jesus. When we come together as a church, we gather to lift his name up, and I pray that as realized in every ministry here at this church, that we are celebrating the worship and person and relationship that we have with the Son of God, that everything we do is to that aim and to that end. The second reason why we gather as a church is to equip Christians. Education is critical. In fact, I was reading a, an article this week, according to an article published by Education Data Initiative on September the 8th, 2023. We have a lot of educators in our church, so you will appreciate this. According to this article published in September of 2023, public education spending in the United States falls short of global benchmarks and lags behind economic growth grades K through 12. We spend an estimated $794.7 billion annually on education, and we fall short according to global standards. Nearly $795 billion is spent every year, which is just around $18,000 per student. I wanted to know why education is so important in our country or why education is so important in general. The same article I kept reading and it gave 10 reasons. The top three reasons were really curious to me. Number one, they said they credit education for creating stability. That when you educate people, it creates individual stability, it creates cultural stability, and it creates economic stability. That when you educate people to do a, a trade or when you educate people to educate other people or, or whatever it is you're, you're educating for, that it creates stability. The second is that education creates security. The better educated you are, the sense is that you have a greater opportunity for financial gain. That you have education and so you become an asset. And it creates security that you will always have the ability to have a job. And the third is that education creates opportunity. 
I was talking to one of our staff members today whose son is interested in construction management, but he's also going to go and do some things with small engine repair and mechanics. He wants to be multifaceted and he wants to have opportunities. He wants to know two trades. He wants to know construction and he wants to know mechanics so that at the end of his time in school, he can pick and choose. He wants to be multifaceted in what he can do. Education creates opportunity for us. And as I look at this anecdote, I can't help but realize that those same three things, the the sense of stability, security, and opportunity exists within the church. That the more that we study to show ourselves approved, which Christianity we're called to do as followers of Jesus, that we're called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. The Bible says that. And as we do, it creates a sense of stability. Like, do you realize that we're at war? Not just collectively as a country or or the world's, but there's a spiritual battle being waged for your very soul. I mean, Paul and Silas had Timothy go and tell them that. Look, we were praying that the enemy hadn't tempted you and and pulled you away from your faith. Verse 5, verse 6. There's a spiritual war going on. Well, how do you know how to combat that? I was talking to the same staff member today whose son is also a wrestler and a jiu-jitsu practitioner. And a a friend of ours wrestles and they they got into this wrestling match. And this, this older, bigger kid beat him at wrestling. And I said, well, yeah, it's great. He said, yeah, it was great until uh, uh, Jackson said, hey, why don't we try jujitsu? And this, this kid who's like got 40 pounds on him is like, oh, yeah, I just, I just beat you at wrestling. This won't be a big deal. And I said, how'd it go? He said, I couldn't breathe in 30 seconds. <laughs> like, you just tapped me out. We are in a battle for our very lives. The Bible says that we have to stand firm to hold our ground. Because there's a battle against principalities and dark forces of an unseen world. The Bible says that we have to have a helmet of salvation, a breastplate of righteousness, a belt of truth, feet fit with the readiness of the gospel of peace, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith, so that we can stave off the arrows and attacks of the enemy. Well, how can you know how to put on the helmet of salvation or the breastplate of righteousness or the belt of truth if you're not being equipped as a Christian, like we need Christian education. It's critical. One of the best ways you can do that at this church is to show up on Sunday morning. Like we rightly divide God's word. We don't really give up the pulpit for much else because this is so critical. We believe this is the most important 50-ish minutes of your week. But we also have life groups where you can walk lockstep hand in hand with other followers of Jesus and grow together in your faith. We've got women's ministry and men's ministry. Pastor Mark just talked about a men's Bible study on Thursday night. She just talked about their men's conference that's coming up. If you're not signed up, go sign up. It's going to be amazing. But Christian education is, is critical. It helps us understand our faith. Equipping Christians helps us to live out our faith. It helps us to defend our faith, to stand up against Satan. It helps us to share our faith in life and ministry, and it helps prepare for Christ's return. Guys, Think about the lengths that you'll go to attend a sporting event. I'll give an example. August 30th, 2023, the largest sporting event in women's history happened in Memorial Stadium in Lincoln, Nebraska. It was a volleyball match. You didn't just show up there, I promise. If you were there, you had to buy your tickets. You had to pay for parking. You had to plan in advance for when you were going to leave. You had to get there early to make sure you got to your seats. You had to decide if you were going to stay late to watch this Scotty McCreary's country, so why bother? But 
seriously? Like, how many cows can die, dogs can run away, trucks can break down, and divorces can you experience? All on the key of G. Sorry. That's funny. You didn't just show up. Like, you made, you made room in your life to do that. You budgeted for it. You paid for it. And you put in hours and hours, five, six, seven, eight hours. Maybe you took a day off work. I don't, I don't know. But if you went to that event or any event like that, you create margin in your life so that you can experience that. What about your faith, which is eternal? How much margin are you creating in your life to experience the only thing that is eternal? How much margin are you preparing in your life for prayer? Are you preparing in your life to serve? Are you preparing in your life to love? Are you preparing in your life to learn? I get it. It's so easy to just overlook it because we're, we're saved by grace and or by faith through grace and not by works. And so it doesn't matter if we really do a uh, devotion or not because we're not being, listen to me, it matters everything. That's how you know the fullness of your faith. Imagine me getting married to Stacy 21 years ago, telling her I love her that day and never talking to her again. She might enjoy that, but I, like I'm highly relational. And I want to grow in our marriage. I want a strong, healthy, productive marriage. And so it requires setting aside time, energy, and effort, going out of my way to show her that I love her. And her going out of her way to show me that she loves me. And I'm high maintenance. <laughs> Didn't ask your opinion. <laughs> we gather so that we can exalt Christ. Like at the foot of the cross, we're all equal. We gather so that we can equip Christians. We also gather so that we can encourage community. Three years ago, on my 42nd birthday, at the height of what is arguably, to this day, the most difficult season of ministry that I've ever had, where, truth be told, I met with our elders and resigned. Now, they didn't accept my resignation, clearly. If you have a problem with that, talk to them. <laughs> I was in a really dark place in ministry. It had been a really hard few years. I got a, a, a box and a present. It was wrapped, and I opened up the box, and inside the box was a, a ball jar, just a, a glass ball jar with little grapes and kind of a vineyard-looking thing with some coins. And inside the ball jar was this note. Happy birthday. On the occasion of your 42nd birthday, I'm struck by how many times God has called you to be a guide and interpreter for those people who call you pastor. Sacagawea was a young 13-year-old woman who was sold into a non-consensual marriage to a French trapper named Toussaint Charbonneau. Lewis and Clark hired Charbonneau to go on the expedition because his pregnant wife, Sacagawea, spoke the Shoshone language. During the expedition, there were numerous times the young Shoshone girl saved the lives of the travelers because of her poise under pressure and her willingness to do whatever needed to be done in times of crisis. When I think of your role as the pastor of a dynamic church of headstrong young believers, I'm struck by the number of times that you are called on to be a guide. During the times of intense crises, you're called to demonstrate poise in the face of personal troubles. Therefore, our gift to you this year is a gift designed to remind you 
of the critical role you play in the lives of your church family. This individual mentions him and his wife. I thank you for being part of our lives. P.S. There's one Thomas Jefferson dollar coin since he was the president of our nation during the expedition. In here are 42 gold coins with Sacagawea, just like what you see right up there. And in here is one Thomas Jefferson coin. I don't know outside of the dollar if there's any more value to them. Like, I don't know if I could go to the bank and these are probably worth like a million dollars. I don't know. But I know that in my life, this is priceless. This sits on my shelf in my office as a constant reminder that I have a, a person in my life that is encouraging me as part of this community. That came alongside me and was willing to physically demonstrate encouragement. Now what I want to tell you is the same individual encourages me in many, many, many ways. This is just one small sampling of the encouragement that I receive. But I believe with all my heart that I'm no different than you. Or than you. Or you. Or any of you. Like if I know anything about encouraging community, I know that we're better together. You know, Paul wrote with Silas to Timothy take, to take this over to Thessalonica. And he said, look, remember, you're going to be persecuted. Your faith is going to be hard. Life is hard enough as it is, but then you're going to be persecuted because of your faith. We need each other. I mean, there's just times where, if I'm being honest, life isn't fair. And I don't know what you're dealing with this morning, whether it's a medical crisis, a financial burden, a relational breakdown, spiritual attack. Or maybe you're here and you're in a, the best place you've been in a long time. What I know to be true is that every one of us needs someone and every one of us can be there for someone else. Paul says in Romans 1.12, that is, as a matter of fact, that is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by one another's faith. We need each other. We are better together. I'm better with you in my life, with you by my side and in my church. I'm better with you in my community. Our schools are better because of your investment. Our businesses are better because of your investment. And I need you, and you need me, and we need each other. And so let me just say as we wrap up today, the Reach Church exists. And if you're here today and this is your first time, you came in a great space because now you, there's no guesswork about Reach Church exists to be a community where people encounter Jesus and their lives are changed forever. There's no hidden agenda. There's no ulterior motive. That's it. That's, simple. That's, that's why we exist. That's why we're here. Take that away and we're nothing but a social club. And I'm not handing out any green jackets. And when we gather, we're going to do four things. Like when we, when we come together, we're going to do four things. We're going to gather, grow, give, and go. 
Next week, we're going to focus on what it means to grow as a church, to grow as followers of Jesus. But when we gather together, expect three things. Expect that we're going to exalt Christ. We're going to worship. We're going to stand together as a choir and lift up Jesus' name, exalting him in music. We're going to exalt him in rightly dividing his word. We're going to exalt him in serving alongside each other and serving one another. We're going to exalt him in using the gifts, the financial resources that God's given us to expand his kingdom. We're going to exalt Jesus. Like the Bible says, when you work, work is unto the Lord, for this is your spiritual act of worship. We're going to worship. We're going to exalt Jesus with our lives. And we're going to do it together. The second thing we're going to do when we gather is we're going to equip Christians. And we're going to get after it. Just this week, I had one of my staff members come into my office. Two, two, actually, multiple staff came, and then they left when they saw what was going on. We had a really intentional theological discussion for about an hour and a half. Uh, and can I have your permission to share what I'm about to share? Do you know what I'm going to share? Perfect. <laughs> Anne came in the office as part of the conversation, and she said, and I quote, Andrew, I've heard more Bible and theology in 30 minutes in this church than I have in my lifetime at any other church. Is that true? Is that what you said? And that's staff member sharpening staff member. Like we're educating one another. We're growing each other. We, we need to grow deep and wide in our faith. Not so we can be puffed up with head knowledge. I don't give two. I don't care about that. I care that we know what we know so we can do what God calls us to do. So we're going to equip you. And then when we gather, we're going to encourage the community. We're going to encourage each other. Would you stand with me? And let's keep worshiping together this morning.